Ephesians chapter 4 verse 25 Therefore laying aside falsehood Speak truth each one of you with his neighbor For we are members of one another For his name's sake Prescribe truth we giving you what the doctor ordered Jamal Bandy apologist the Lord's servant We undeserve it but Christ changed our mind frame In a world full of errors The only thing the doctor prescribes is truth all right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Prescribed Truth Podcast. I'm Jamal Banny, the one who seeks to distribute the truth that the doctor prescribes to the church and the world today. If you are listening to this on various podcast apps, including iTunes, Stitch Radio, and Google Play, please subscribe. Please subscribe. If you're watching this live on YouTube, remember, if you aren't already, please subscribe to this channel if you find this content useful. If you want to contact me, you can do so by emailing me at prescribed.truth at gmail.com or you can call me at 801-980-6333. All right, so real quick before we jump into the content here, I've made some changes to the Patreon account. If you are considering supporting Prescribed Truth on Patreon, please check out the link. I've made some updates. For those of you who are patrons and you're listening to this, please check out the link, prescribe truth. I mean, I'm sorry, patreon.com forward slash prescribe truth and see if you, you know, saying you could jail with those changes. All right. Let me know what you think. All right. But please, if you consider supporting prescribed truth, please go there. Even from a dollar and up, you really help out the show, really help me continue to keep this going. And I really do appreciate you. If not, as always, as always, I appreciate your prayers. What we're going to do tonight, as you see in the title, is we're going to take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8, and we're going to look at how we consider those who are weak, all right? Um, this has been, it's been an important topic. As you know from last week, if you listened to the show, um, we looked at idolatry according to Scripture, all right? And the point of last week's podcast was just to show where idolatry appears in Scripture and the context that it appears, all right? That was basically it, just doing a basic word study of showing where these words appear. I think we looked at idolatry and we looked at idols and we looked at briefly uh, scriptures concerning worship to idols, all right? So that's what we looked at, all right? So that was the point of last week's podcast, was just to do a word study on idolatry and where it appears in scripture and the context for what's going on to show that this idolatry is going on. What was interesting, which I was really appreciative of, that I had a viewer comment on that video and say that they were encouraged and convicted because I remember as we looked at um, last week's, as we looked at uh, scripture, I think it was in Colossians, it talks about how covetousness is idolatry, right? And so when we covet something, we're making it an idol and therefore we are committing idolatry in our covetousness, you know, and so that brought conviction to one of my viewers and it, it honestly brings conviction to me as well. And I don't know about any of you out there who's listening, but it's convicting to know that when we covet something, when we covet something, the, the Bible tells us that is idolatry and we're encouraged by scripture and we're commanded by scripture to flee, flee from idolatry. All right. So I just thought that was interesting. But I know during last week's, I was going through First uh, Corinthians 8. And the point then, as we were looking at First Corinthians 8, was that we, we were trying to see how people interacted with idols. When there was an idol present, what was going on with this idol? What made it an idol? What were people doing to it to make it an idol? And so uh, in First Corinthians 8, we saw there was something, there was food sacrificed to idols. So this, something, so this was an idol, not just because it was just sitting there, but because people actually served it, worshipped it. They made it an idol, whatever that was. And so this is what Paul was addressing in 1 Corinthians 8. 
And so that was the point of bringing up First Corinthians 8 then, just to show that much. It wasn't about going through the whole of the chapter. And so, but because of that, I felt the need now to go through the whole of the chapter. Um, that may have been some who stated, who saw last week and may have misunderstood the point of it. And so um, I've been encouraged by another brother. Hey, you know, you, it's like you stop. You stop midway through. And I was like, okay, hey, let's take this week to go through the whole chapter. You know what I'm saying? So we're going verse by verse. We're going to look at it. Now, the plan is to go verse by verse. And um, and if we and halfway through, I want to take a break. But if this this podcast goes long, if it goes long and I begin to run out of time, what we will do, we will pick it back up next week. We will pick it up back, uh, pick it back up next week. And um, I because I look forward to getting through this because I want to get into some some um, some critical theory stuff um, in the coming weeks. So looking forward to getting through this. OK, so. If you have your Bibles, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, I have mentioned um, before I started the show on the live stream that I've been using Eastward all this time. And man, oh man, I done fell in love with the Lagos Bible app on the, uh, on the desktop. I mean, I got and I got Blue Letter Bible on my phone and I'm, I'm loving it too. And so it's like I'm using tonight. The Lagos Bible software. Now, this is the basic version, so this is free. This is the free version. Um, Lagos is too expensive for my blood for me to get all those other versions, all right? But the basic does just fine for what we want to do tonight. Please just listen along or you can follow along um, in your own Bibles at 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And we're starting off now at verse 1. It says, Now concerning food sacrifice to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up okay now just looking at this now now this is the point that i was bringing up when i first brought it up i uh, brought this passage up last week just looking up looking up how uh it says these idols these these weren't just idols sitting there like just these weren't just um objects just sitting around somewhere these were something that people actually prayed to worship served you know and so that's what these idols were now he's he's making a point concerning food sacrifice to idols. Uh, this not this passage is not necessarily just talking about idols in itself, um, but it's talking about food sacrifice to idols. But it's it's a point in this. Paul is going to make a point. Now this is just coming off of chapter seven when he's dealing with marriage and um, we, you know whether you should marry or not marry, whether divorce or don't divorce. If you have an unbeliever and all that kind of stuff like, or you married to an unbeliever and all that kind of stuff like that. Um, but here he starts off chapter eight with now. That's a, that's a, that's a new thought. He's giving us a new thought and he's um, bringing him another point. And he says now concerning foods sacrificed to idols. And he says we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Then he says, if anyone thinks he knows anything, he has not yet known as it is necessary to know. So like Paul is like, he's letting us know like there's something. He said, you think you have this knowledge. Keep in mind the context, what these Corinthians would do. And they would they would use their freedom as a way to puff themselves up. And so he's saying like anyone thinks he knows anything, he has not yet known as it's necessary to know. Like you don't know anything like you think, you know, but you really don't have a clue. You know, so he's making a point. He's going to let us know why this is. But he's he's like he's already making this conclusion. He's already letting people know, hey, we know we have knowledge. But you know what I'm saying? But your knowledge is puffing you up. Your knowledge is making you arrogant. But love builds up. So he's already letting us know, hey, this is going to be letting us know about something about love. Something about love, a better way to love one another. And then he goes on to say, if anyone thinks he knows anything, he has not yet known as is necessary to know. But if anyone, verse three, but if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. All right. Then he says, therefore, 
so after he said all this in the verses one through three, now he says, therefore, so based off of everything he just said, therefore, concerning the eating of food sacrificed to idols. So bringing it back up again, after saying all these things about how love edifies and knowledge puffs up and, and all these things you think you know, but you're not, you really don't have a clue. And then it says, but anyone who knows, who, know, who loves God is known by him. And, but he says, therefore, concerning the eating of food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world. An idol is nothing in the world. So this is the knowledge. This is what we know, right? This is what he's appealing to when he says knowledge. We know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no God except one. All right. So now this is the excuse that the Corinthians will use. This is, this is what they will use to justify what they do, to justify as far as like being a, um, putting up stumbling blocks for their brethren. This is what Paul is getting to, talking about stumbling blocks. And so they would do this. They, because of this knowledge, because they, they know these things to be true, they use this as a way to justify their lack of love towards their brother, their arrogance, their pride, all right, because of their freedom, all right? So, and I'm kind of going ahead a little bit, but we're going to get into talking about some liberty here. When Paul mentions our rights here, talking about our Christian liberty, this is a liberty, all right? He says, um, therefore, concerning the eating of food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no God except one. For even if, after all, there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, just as there are many gods and many lords. Now, I remember you, I used to read this verse. And when he says so-called gods, it's like I'm, I'm imagining Paul is saying, hey, these aren't really gods. They're just like so-called gods. He's not saying these gods are necessarily are non-existent. What he's saying is that people believe that these gods, that these idols exist. They believe these things to exist, just like angels and all things and all those things. They are so-called gods. When people, another text where Paul talks about how people sacrifice to demons, they saw these demons as their gods. They worshiped them. All right, so they are so-called gods. All right, and so whether in heaven or on earth. So when he talks about whether in heaven or on earth. He's talking about whether people worship stars, the moons, whatever, um, you know, whatever it is they're worshiping that's in the heavens, the sun, whether they're worshiping those things on earth, whether it be beasts, uh, objects that are carved or made, whatever it be, they're calling these things gods. Then so, so just as there are many gods and many lords, so this is like, there are many things people are calling gods and there are many things people are seeing as calling them their lords. And so this is what he's referring to here in this text. For even if there, even if after all, the Father, from whom are all things, are for him. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things, and we are through him. All right. Now that's the knowledge. Like that is the knowledge. Because he says, but he starts off at verse seven. We're not going to go into verse seven right now. We're going to take a break. We're not going to take a break, but we're going to go into some commentary and stuff. But verse seven starts off, but this knowledge is not in everyone. So that's the knowledge that Paul was speaking of in the very first verse when he says we all have knowledge. So he's speaking, of, he's speaking of course, to, to Christians, talking to Christians. But these are Christians who are who are using this knowledge as a way to tempt their fellow brothers to stumble. Those who may not have this knowledge. Because that's the knowledge he's speaking of, and therefore they're not operating in love. Now, he's, he's going to get into saying that as we continue to go through the chapter. But that's what Paul is getting to, this knowledge that we know that there's only one God. No matter what somebody calls a God, no matter what somebody calls an idol, we know they, they are non-existent. 
They are non-existent. They are nothing in the world, as Paul says. That's first, um, verse 4. We know that an idol is nothing in the world. They're nothing. They have no power. They have, they have no jurisdiction. Nothing. They are nothing in the world. And that there is no God except one. So that knowledge that we have, like, it should be freeing to us, right? It should be freeing to us to know that, man, none of these things exist. They're, they're not, they, don't, they don't have any power. You know, nothing at all. You know what I'm saying? But not all have this knowledge. Let's pause get it to. Now, I want to look at some commentary here. And I'm going to read this off for those who are listening. And we're going, to, we're going to look at commentary going through verse 1 through 6. That's what we've been looking at so far. It says, Though to those knowing that he respected, the portions of the victims not offered, I'm sorry, the portions of the victims not offered on the altars belonged partly to the priests, partly to the offerers, and were eaten at feasts in the temples and in private houses, and were often sold in the markets, so that Christians were constantly exposed to the temptation of receiving them, which was forbidden. And that's and they give scripture Numbers twenty five two and Psalms one hundred six twenty eight. All right, it says the apostles forbade um, the apostles forbade it in their decree issued from Jerusalem. But Paul does not allude here to that decree, as he rests his precepts rather on his own independent apostolic authority. All right. So they was getting to so keep on these foods. So they we're saying, letting us know here, these foods offered to idols, after they finished sacrificing, they would have leftovers, right? So they would be eating at feasts, just like just kind of repeating what the commentary said, be eating at feasts, or it was sold in marketplaces. Now this can go into show how some receive meat knowing that hey i might have bought this in the market don't know it was actually sacrificed that was used in a sacrifice a sacrificial ritual they may not know it and it kind of lets me know it kind of let me know that when paul mentioned in another particular ver uh, chapter uh, and i think it was another book i don't know if it's in corinthians or not where he talks about somebody lets you know that this mood this meat has been sacrificed to idols don't eat it for their conscience not for yours but for their conscience you know because of the one who told you you know, this meat was bought, it, you know, it was sold in marketplace, you bought it, you may not know it was sacrificed to idols, but because now you do know, don't eat it because of the knowledge that someone has given you, you know, so don't eat it for that sense. But he says, um, when it, continuing the commentary, it says, um, based on the part where it says, we know that we all have knowledge, going on what I had said earlier, it said the Corinthians doubtless had referred to their knowledge, quote unquote, namely of the indifference of meats as in themselves having no sanctity or pollution. So the meats in themselves are don't sanctify and they're not polluted in themselves. Paul replies, we are aware that we all have, speaking generally, um, that we all have knowledge, uh, this knowledge, as it says. They're going to say well, how knowledge puffs up. Um, so when without love, here in parentheses, begins, um, begins and the main subject is resumed in the same words. At, and this is verse 4. Um, well, from verse four, as concerning, therefore, the eating, puffing up, which is to please, yet edifying, to please one's neighbor, knowledge only says all things are lawful for me. Love adds, but all things do not edify. All right. So I'm not going to read all this, all this um, commentary. So edify means to build up. There's other commentary here. The part I really want to look at where it says um, idol is nothing. All right. So it says uh, for, as, for as the point where it says our idol is nothing, it has no true being at all. The God it represents is not a living reality. This does not contradict 1 Corinthians 10, 20, 
yeah, it says 1020, which states that they who worship idols worship devils. For here, it is the gods believed by the worshipers to be represented by the idols, which are denied to have any existence, not the devils, which really under the idols delude the worshipers. All right. So there's a distinction made here that there are there are idols, right, that have no existence, period. But there are people who are worshiping demons as they are given in. Um, I think that's, I think that's first Corinthians 10. It's about they're worshiping demons. But these demons, they do exist. You know, these angels, they actually do exist. And but they but people believe that these angels inhabited these um, idols that they made. Right. That's that's what and that kind of brought to understanding like Buddha and all that. Like, why do people have so many Buddha statues? And because it's not the Buddha itself that's that's known even by the worshippers to have any power. But they believe that that God like indwells that statue, you know, or his presence comes to that statue. So that just made that, that gave some understanding as to stuff like that. And what I, what I want to do as well. I don't know if it's going to show up here. Oh, yes. Yeah, in the faith. It's in his other um, commentary. Yes, yes, this one here. I want to look at this this excerpt. Well, I'm probably reading the whole thing. It ain't that long. It's called The Logic of Idolatry. All right. So this was in the midst of going through verse four, as far as talking about how we know that an idol has, there's, it's nothing in the world. But then it's this, um, <laughs> this commentary offers this, uh, I don't know what to call this. I don't know if to call it a passage or not. It's within um, the faith, the, what is it, Faith Life Study Bible. But it's from its author, is Michael Heisler, or Heiser, Michael Heiser. And so this is what it says. And I just start with interest. And I'm going to read this. And if I read this, we're already halfway through the chapter. If I read this, I'll take a brief break and we'll continue on. All right. So uh, it says the logic of idolatry. When the biblical writers mention other gods, they aren't referring merely to idols, objects made by people from wood, metal, or stone. Instead, the Old Testament refers to God as demons low-ranking divine beings known from other ancient Near Eastern texts. The Old Testament also describes the hosts of heaven as an assembly of spiritual beings and calls them the sons of God or even gods. And it says, yet when the Israelites are being disobedient, Deuteronomy 28:64, sarcastically says, you shall serve other gods of wood and stone. And First Chronicles 16:26 states, the gods of the people are idols. How all these ideas fit together is explained by the logic of idolatry in the ancient Near East. It says people in the ancient Near East called both the spiritual entity and its corresponding religious object a god. So that goes to what I was talking about as far as the Buddha statue. And they fashioned the idol in the um, in the God's likeness, but they did not necessarily consider the statue or object to be identical with the God itself. Rather, people in the ancient Near East believed the spiritual entity inhabited the idol. In other words, the deity resided in or attached itself to the physical object. The person who fashioned the idol and made offerings or sacrifice to it did so to beckon and localize the deity so that they could be in communication with it and have a relationship with it. Like, oh, man, like that, that was like explained a lot. Like why there's so many Buddha statues. And like, it also explains in the Old Testament how like, there will be kings to go and destroy the temple, the tabernacle of the idols. And yet there will be disobedient Israelites who go and build them back up. And like what significance that had. Because they never believed that the idols in themselves, these these um, these things that are made, actually carried the power. But they believed that the deity inhabited them. 
that made so much sense. It says the ancient Near, ancient Near Eastern idolaters distinguished between the statues themselves and the deities they represented. Ancient Near Eastern texts make this distinction. For example, in an Akkadian inscription, the idol of the goat of the god uh, Shamash of uh, Sippar was destroyed. The incident did not, however, spell the death of Shamash, who was still alive. His um, his devotees thus could still worship him. So they simply made another statue, assuming that he would inhabit it as well. For the idol to be destroyed was tragic, but not threatening to the religion. Mm. So that means every time like when Israel, when Israel would drive out these these pagan worshipers, you know, when they drove when they drove them out the land and they destroyed their tabernacles and their temples, these people just went elsewhere and rebuilt them again. That's all they had to do. They just went somewhere and rebuilt them again. It didn't. It didn't threaten their religion and what they believed. You know, so they just went on and continued to just keep building these idols, because this is what they. This is what they believe concerning their gods. What they. What they hold to as gods. And then it says, the parodies and denunciations of the. Uh, yeah, denunciations of the gods and idolatry in the Old Testament function the same way. The Israelites understood that a statue of Baal being destroyed did not entail Baal being destroyed. They too believe that idols focus someone's attention on the otherworldly deity, the idolaters sought to manipulate or appease. From this perspective, the biblical prohibition against making any likeness of Yahweh takes on an even more pronounced significance. Like that's like you can actually see now why God said do not make any statue of anything in heaven and on earth to worship it like it's like it's my like it's me like he, like, he, like now we are, we can see that he says Yahweh could not be forced to come to earth ooh we Yahweh could not be forced to come to earth could um I can't pronounce that word cajoled I think and tamed it also brings further significance to the problem of idolatry of either I mean I'm sorry. Uh, it also brings further significance to the problem of idolatry of other divine beings. Worshiping the idols meant calling these gods to Israel rather than calling on Yahweh. It meant dependence on inferior beings that were, in fact, evil and enslaving in their rule. Man, man, that was good. That was good. Like that, that gives a lot of insight into this whole thing, into this whole thing. You know, said so like. The, the the encouragement from Paul concerning all these things, like food sacrifice idols, knowing that hey, these things are nothing in themselves, and all of that. Still yet, still yet, there are those who may not have this knowledge, and because of what they believed about about um, idols, and that people worship these deities. These Corinthians are a mixed bag of Jews and Gentiles alike who used to worship pagan religions, and now. They feel like, man, I, I don't want to have any part of that, you know, believing that this is eating this food is somehow going to appease this God. That's why they did it. It was, it was interesting, man. So it was good. So that was that. We stopped at verse six, going to verse seven. So I'm going to take this moment, take a break for the moment. The Everyday Ministry Podcast. This is James White. Jamie Owen. I'm Chris Nordworthy. This is Daniel Brown. Check out our full-length episodes released every first and third Monday of every month. <laughs> and our short Minister's Minute episodes released every second and fourth Monday of the month. Mm-hmm. What is youth ministry? What is apologetics? If Christ found this important, then it should be important to us. The Everyday Ministry Podcast. 
where everyday ministers get together to discuss everyday ministry. All right, so now that we're back, let's take a look at verse 7 again. Um, we just Paul just let us know what knowledge he was speaking about. He's just knowledge that there's only one God, that idols are nothing in the world, and that we only have one Lord, Jesus Christ, and through whom are all things, and we are through him. But then he says in verse 7, but this knowledge is not in every one, but some being accustomed until now to the idol, eat this food as food sacrificed to idols and their conscience being because it is weak is defiled. Let me read that again. But this knowledge is not in everyone, but some being accustomed until now to the idol, eat this food as food sacrificed to idols and their conscience because it is weak is defiled. Now let's make something very clear here. This whole passage is speaking about our love towards other brothers in Christ. All right. Our love to other brothers in Christ. Now, I don't know about you. I know when I came out of a cult, there were things that still had to be detoxed out of me. Things that I've held to, things that I thought that was taboo that had to be detoxed. I, I held to a worst based belief system. You know, I, I, I believe that you had to put oil in the house or the house that didn't have oil on it, didn't have God's presence in it. I mean, just all kind of things I've held to in, in that false belief. Right. Just like people who serve idols have a false belief. But the Lord had to detox me out of those things. Even though I come to being a Christian, there are still things that I was still holding on to. I had to let go. I remember I used to carry around this handkerchief all the time. I, I anointed it with oil and I prayed over it and all these things. And I thought that every time I prayed, I had to pray with this cloth. You could consider that to be a type of, a type of thing used to worship, right? Like, like um, idols would use certain things, certain um, emblems or whatever. Like, so like this, what I had to have this cloth in order to pray to God. I feel like I, I feel like my prayer didn't get close enough to God unless I had this cloth. It gave me an extra anointing that I didn't have, you know, and so I always had it. But then as I come to truth, it, it took a while. It, it took a while for me to get rid of those cloths. I mean, I, one day I just got them all together. I had like towels and all kind of stuff. And I bunched them all together and I threw them in the trash. It was hard to do that, though, you know, but I knew the truth. I believed the gospel. I was a believer. Yeah, I was weak. I was weak in this area. I believe I, I still needed these things. So Paul is getting at here that there's there are those who are Christian, like they've come to the faith, but they've been accustomed until now. So they've been accustomed all this time and that they, they got a habit of when they eat these meats, when they eat food that they know have been sacrificed to idols, that they're appeasing this God, this deity, right? They have this in their mind when they're doing it, but they've been accustomed. But now they're a Christian. They know that they don't have to do these things. They don't, they're not sacrificing to these idols. They're not worshiping these gods, but they've been accustomed to it. So they eat the food as if it's been sacrificed to idols. And because their mind says these idols exist, these idols are what people worshiped. And therefore, I'm, I'm actually eating what was sacrificed to a god, to something that actually exists. Because people, when, these, when people worship idols, they didn't worship what they did not believe actually existed. Let's be clear. Even when we read the, the commentary earlier, these people, these worshipers, they believe that these deities existed. That's why when people, when people cast down their idols, like these little stones they made and whatever they made of wood, when they cast them down, that didn't threaten their religion. That just made their idol. They just 
their idol was gone, whatever they fashioned was gone. It was destroyed, but it didn't threaten what they actually believed existed. All right. So now this individual, this brother, is accustomed to sacrificing to these deities that he once believed existed. And even though he's a Christian, and even though he's a Christian, he's not yet, you know, he hasn't yet had the knowledge. Like Paul said, he does not yet have this knowledge that, hey, these are nothing in the world. They are nothing. So he's not, he's, he's weak in that way. And so because he eats in that way, he's now defiled. He's defiled. And I want to read this. I want to read this to you. Uh, this is from um, it's Romans, yeah, Romans chapter 14. It's dealing with how we must, how when, anything that we don't do out of faith is considered sin, all right? So let's let's look at this Romans fourteen, and um, and I'm I'm gonna look at I'm gonna, we're gonna start at verse nineteen. I'm gonna read the whole chapter. We're gonna read start at verse nineteen. I'm just gonna read this. So then, let us pursue what promotes peace and what edifies one another. Right, verse twenty. Do not destroy the work of God on account of food. All things are clean. So look what Paul says. All things are clean, but it is wrong for the person who eats and stumbles in the process. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles or is offended or is weakened the faith that you have have with respect to yourself before god blessed is the one who does not pass judgment on himself by what he approves but the one who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not do so from faith and everything that is not from faith is sin and this is how we cause our brothers to sin this is how we cause them to stumble right so this this is this is what's wrong with us if we take this freedom that we know this knowledge that we have that there's no idol that nothing that this stuff is nothing in the world and we use it and we know that it causes our brothers to stumble knowing that they're weak knowing that they're weak it is sin we're causing them to sin because they're doing something not of faith if they eat they're not doing it out of faith Therefore, they're causing them to sin, and we have been the one to put the stumbling block before them. All right? So that's what this, this is what Paul is getting at. All right? But he says, verse 8, but food does not bring us close to God. All right? So it doesn't do anything. What we, whether we eat, he goes on to say, whether we eat or whether we don't eat, it's not going to make any difference to, like, to God. It doesn't. Whether we eat. So it says, but food does not bring us close to God, for neither if we eat do we have more nor if we do not eat do we lack so check this out let's want to look at two what we're getting here what we're getting here this is not just foods that are just unclean because god used to say that these things are unclean these are things that god will have said they were clean they were used for sacrifices the only thing is because they were used to sacrifice to idols if these meats weren't used to sacrifice to idols it would have been nothing no 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 issue but because these were these were meats that were used in sacrificial rituals now there's an issue right so but the food itself does nothing it does nothing to bring us close to god or, or not we don't lack if we don't eat and we don't get more if we do it doesn't do anything for our relationship with god but then verse 9 says but watch out lest somehow this right of yours now that word right i'm gonna pull it up to the side here this word right is excusia excusia or exousia, if I pronounce it wrong. But it's talking about whether we have a right. That's where we get liberty from. That word is like liberty. That's what another translation will say, liberty. But it means our rights. We have a right to eat. And so Paul is saying, you have a right. This is your right. You know what I'm saying? You are at liberty to eat this meat. 
even if it was so-called sacrifice to idols, you have a right to do it. But watch out, lest somehow this right of yours becomes a cause for stumbling to the weak. To the weak. Now, who are the weak? Once again, the weak are the ones who don't have this knowledge. There are Christians, Christians, fellow brothers and sisters who don't yet have the knowledge that these idols are nothing in the world. Nothing. Nothing. He says, for if, going on in verse 10, for if someone should see you who has knowledge reclining for a meal in an idol's temple, right? Will not his conscience, because it is weak, be strengthened so that he eats the food sacrificed to idols? Now, what is Paul saying here? Now, I read over this verse time and time again. I'm like, Paul, what are you saying here? He's saying, in the midst of this right that we have, and if someone should see you, that, that you have knowledge, right? And he says, see you who has knowledge, reclining for a meal in an idol's temple, where the meat was sacrificed, where the meat was sacrificed to a false god. Will not his conscience, because it's weak, that once again, this, this context is talking about someone who's accustomed to these things, who really believes that these idols are something, not nothing in the world, but they are something in the world. They believe that, all right? So he's weak in that sense. But now he sees you eating. He sees you partaking of this food that was offered to idols and you're eating in a temple. Now, this is hypothetical. Paul is giving a hypothetical instance. You know, he's giving a scenario, but he's, laying, he's saying, hey, if he sees you eating in a temple, he's going to think it's okay. He's going to think it's okay for him to eat something that he knows is sacrificed to a God that he believes exists. He wants to, he's, he knows it's a sin. The issue here is that he knows it's a sin to worship anything else, to worship any other idol, to serve any other God. He knows that, right, as a believer. But he's fin to do what he believes is sin because he sees you do it. That's what it's getting at. He's going to do what he believes is sinful because he sees another brother doing it. See what I'm saying? I hope this makes sense. All right. So because he sees you doing it and he believes it's sin and then he goes and does it too, knowing in himself that he believes it's a sin, you've caused him to stumble. Like Romans said, whatever's not done in faith is sin. He's not eating in faith. He's not eating in, with that knowledge. He's eating, believing that he's eating something that he knows is sinful in himself. That's, that's what he's saying. Verse 11, for the one who is weak... The brother for whom Christ died. This is why I say this week is not talking about just people out in the world. This is talking about a fellow brother in Christ, a fellow brother, professed brother in Christ. For the one who is weak, the brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your what? Your knowledge. What's that knowledge again? That knowledge is that we know that an idol has nothing, is, has, is nothing in the world. That we know that there's only but one God, not many gods but one God, all right? So he destroyed by your knowledge because you've used that knowledge in arrogance. You've used that knowledge not being considerate of your brother who is weak. That's what you've done. And you caused him to stumble. That's what Paul is getting at. So he says, now, if you sin in this way, so now it's a sin. It's a sin. It's a sin for you to have done that to your brother. So he says, now, if you sin in this way against the brothers and wound their conscience, which is weak, you sin against Christ. You sin against Christ. 
Because sinning against one of Christ is just like sinning against him. You sin against Christ. Therefore, verse 13, therefore, if food causes my brother to sin, I will never eat meat forever in order that I may not cause my brother to sin. That's love, man. That's love. And so, like, like look at all this, man. And I, I want to point all this out to everyone. And we, and we make this clear. This context is not just talking about meats or foods that God had deemed unclean in the past and now are clean because of the new covenant. These are what people have always done when they sacrifice to idols, even in the Old Testament, but they sacrifice to their deities. All right. But now these deities, I mean, not, not, not these deities, but these people, this, um, this meat that was sacrificed to idols have been uh, kept. They've been sold in the marketplaces and all that. I read in the commentary as well, in Faith Life Study Bible as well, that it talks about how the poor, this is how the poor, not necessarily believing poor, uh, but just poor in general, the poor would get meat. This is the only way they could eat because they had to wait to after these feasts had happened, these festivals had happened to these other idols, and this is how they were provided food, right? They would go and wait till the sacrifice was over and they would get the scraps, they would get the leftovers, right? Whatever's not sold, they would eat it themselves, and that's how they would eat. You know, and, and, and therefore to them, it was a religious connotation. It had a religious con connotation towards it, you know. And so in that sense, in their mind, they are serving and appeasing these gods too. And in their mind to the poor, especially these, these poor that believe in idol worship as well already, like they're, they're appeasing the God. And that God whom they're appeasing is, is helping them survive by giving them food you know, as, what they, as how they will see it. But to a Christian... To a Christian, these idols are nothing. They are nothing. So let me encourage you, brothers. Let me encourage you, brothers and sisters who may be listening to this. That when, when concerning this text here, this is not just like I said. These are things that people may see as being sin. Let's take another. Let's take an instance. Even alcohol. Some believe it's a sin to drink alcohol, and there are some who who know, who have knowledge, should know. Hey, we. I have a right to drink. I have a right to drink, but the Bible tells me not to be a drunkard. Right. But I'm not going to use my right. That's my right. My liberty to cause my brother to stumble and sin. So out of love for my brother, if it causes him to sin, I will never take another drink. That's what Paul is getting at. I will never take another drink. I will never eat, eat flesh again forever if it caused my brother to sin. You know, and so that's what he's getting at here. So I want to look I want us to look at just the context of First Corinthians chapter eight. Foods offered to idols, all right? These idols are nothing in the world, and therefore what was offered to them means nothing. It means nothing. Anything that was used means nothing because the idols in themselves mean nothing, all right? They mean nothing. They have no power. They, they have no precedence at all. But if you have a brother who's accustomed, who's accustomed to idol worship, and yet... Even though a Christian still struggles and believes that these idols are something in the world, we should be compassionate to that brother as one who's weak. As Paul says, they are weak. Their, their mind is weak. They are weak. His conscience is weak. He don't have this knowledge. You know, and so we shouldn't have we shouldn't use this knowledge to puff up. As Paul said in verse one, knowledge puffs up. But love edifies just like uh, Romans was telling us we should seek peace and love for one another, what edifies each other, all right? 
So I hope that's encouraging to you guys who may have read, um, read through this chapter before and um, had some questions concerning it and whatnot. Uh, and let, let us remember, man, that our God is a mighty God. Our God is good. Like, our, the, who, everything, everything that we have here that's, that's natural, God created it. He created it. You know, so they have no power in themselves. God is the one who has all the power, all the power. Even angels, even angels, even fallen angels who are now called demons, they have no power in themselves, but was given to them by God. He's sovereign. He's sovereign. All right. So let us take care to continue to, to have this knowledge of who God is, that we may take part in what's our right, what we have rights to do, but net, but not let this be a thing that causes our brother to stumble. Let us be considerate of those who are weak in the faith, or who are weak in that knowledge concerning who God is and who we serve concerning the Christ and the gospel. All right. So with that being said, I feel the need to just share this gospel message in the end of this. Remember, we've all sinned against God. We sin against God. And because of our sin, our covetousness, our idolatry, if you will, because, hey, if, if outside of God, we've all been idolatrous, serving ourselves, worshiping ourselves and whatever else we've done. We've sinned against God and we've deserved his just wrath and punishment. We deserved it. We still deserve it. We deserve it. There's nothing we can ever do to deserve mercy, grace from God. But we deserve his eternal wrath and he'll be just and loving to do so. He will be just and he will be loving to give us what we deserve. But what God did, what he did, is he provided the way. He sent his son, Jesus, who came in the form of flesh, lived a perfect life, perfect and sinless life, offered himself as a sacrifice, that sacrifice to God, offered himself as a sacrifice. And his blood was shed to atone for the sins of those who would trust in him. So all those, everyone who turns from their sin and put their trust in Christ and his work on the cross can have eternal life, can have eternal life. And he will give you his spirit. He'll give you his spirit, cause you to be born again and you will keep his ways. You will keep his commands. You will. You will live a life that's pleasing to the Lord by his spirit, by his spirit and by his grace. All right. Something we don't deserve. All of our sin laid upon him on the cross, our debt given on him, laid on him. He buried it on the cross. That atonement comes with nothing. It doesn't come for nothing. It comes with a command. This, this atonement is not for everyone in the world. Everyone in the world does not receive this atonement. But for those who would repent of their sin and put their trust in Christ, they are the adopted, they are the elect. They are those who will have eternal life in the end. The good news is that Christ paid our price on the cross. That's the good news. So if you are, if you have sinned in this area, if you have sinned in causing a stumbling block for your brother, if you are, if you have sinned in the fact that you have been guilty of idolatry, and all these things, repent, repent, put your trust in Christ, cry out to the Holy Spirit to continue to guide you, lead you, to grow you into all truth, 
to teach you to renounce ungodliness because this is ungodliness. If we if we cause a stumbling block for our brothers, it's ungodliness. All right. The Holy Spirit teaches us to renounce ungodliness and to pursue righteousness. All right. So that's all I have for tonight. Thank you so much for joining me for this additional episode. This um, episode 71, as it is. Episode 71 of the Prescribed Truth Podcast uh, on this Sunday evening. Be sure to join me next time again for um, the next episode next Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. You join me live on YouTube uh, for the Prescribed Truth Podcast. Please subscribe on your various podcast apps. I greatly appreciate it. And if you want to support this ministry financially, you could do so by joining me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash prescribed truth. I've added some different rewards here and added some different perks and stuff like that. So please check it out. Check it out. Let me know what you think as well. If not, I appreciate your prayers. So with that being end, we're going to end this podcast with a commercial for the prescribed truth. <laughs> and so, hey, that's how we're going to end it. And after that, I'll see you guys next time. Remember, this world is full of errors. But the only thing that the doctor prescribes is truth. Blessings. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 25. Therefore laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor. For we are members of one another for his name's sake. What's up everybody? I'm Jamal Bandy, the host of the Prescribed Truth Podcast, where I seek to distribute the truth that the doctor prescribes to the church and the world today. The Lord graciously brought me out of a cult in 2010, saved me in 2013, and in 2017, Prescribed Truth began. My mission has been to spread the truth of God's word while refuting dangerous lies affecting most churches and the culture at large from a biblical and reformed perspective. Join me on Sundays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for the live recording of the podcast on YouTube and download the audio version wherever podcasts can be found, including the Christian podcast community. If you would like to know more about Prescribed Truth, please visit my website at prescribedtruth.com. And remember, this world is full of errors, but the only thing that the doctor prescribes is truth. Blessings.